Let me ask you, let me make a statement and then ask you a, a rhetorical question today, okay? Um, the statement is this. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came to set the captives free, okay? Um, it says that his perfect love casts out fear, okay? Um, I have come, he has come that we might have life and life to the full. Okay, there's your statements, right? This is what God has come to do. So should we, as Christians, over the long haul in our lives, as a general rule of thumb, should we spiritually feel like inmates in prison? Yeah, should we feel like uh, intensive care patients on life support? Should we as the body of Christ? No, we shouldn't. And listen, there are seasons of life. We all know that. You know, there, just as there are seasons in the cycle of the earth, there are seasons of winter in life, right? There are seasons of fall. There, there are times where God will lead us out into the desert, like Jesus was led into the desert, and we get a little hot and a little dry. That happens. But as a general rule of thumb, life should be more like, for Christians, like V-Day, the liberation of Europe at the end of World War II. It should be more like V-Day, right? A lot more like that than the invasion of Normandy, okay? And, and yeah, I, I got an amen off that. Praise God, I got one more than I was, But it really should be. This should be our, our, our... So what I'm trying to say is this, folks. If in the Christian life, as we look back, if we are not getting freer, if our hearts are not being more and more overrun by the love of God, something is off track. Something is profoundly right, Okay? Let's pray. God, today I'm just asking you, uh, every time I've, I've run through this this week, I just see you with a giant fishing pole, a surf rod, and I just ask you to cast that surf rod and hook our hearts in Jesus' name. Just reel our hearts into your heart today. Lord God, draw us to yourselves. And I think of Jesus saying, you know, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far away, so God, bring them back. Draw our hearts into your presence. Do something today profound in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome and free to do what I'm talking about, to make real these words that we go through in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, the Lord, as a general rule of thumb, has not ever given me permission to preach a sermon twice. You just, I, I've tried it, and, you know, I'll be so excited and just they crash and burn every time. Steve Keller learned a long time not to do that, um, but the Lord seems to want to change that today. I preached the, the nuggets of this message to a group of folks recently, and as soon as I preached it, I knew it was for the church. Um, a number of people in the room came up and said, you have got to preach that to this church on Sunday. So what I'm trying to say is this, there is something on this one, Okay. There's something for you that is on this, all right? And it's not a whole lot of Steve and Suave. Or th I just believe the Lord is on this message. So without further ado, uh, I'm going to introduce you to one of my favorite characters in the Bible. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, it, it just so happens, though, that this may be someone that you have never heard of before, okay? Um, his name is Moses. And, no, it's not. No. Um, it's somebody you've probably never heard of before. And the reason you may not have heard of this guy is he only gets one chapter in the Bible. That's all he gets. But folks, what a chapter, okay? This is a wow, what a chapter. So you know who I'm talking about now. This is Micaiah, the son of Imla. See, 1 Kings 22, you knew it when I said it. So I, I want to really bring this guy to you today. And I just start off by setting the scene. Um, the, the year is 828 B.C., 
And um, there are two kings in, involved in the story, all right? Uh, one is the king of Israel, and one is the king of Judah. The king of Israel at this time is a man named Ahab. And, um, you know, I have to be careful here because, you know, we're, we're supposed to have edifying words when we speak of everybody. So this is the most edifying thing I can say about Ahab. He is a dirty, rotten scoundrel, okay? This man, he, he, he was corrupt, he was bloodthirsty, he was an idol worshiper, um, and, and, and these, these are the best things I can think of to say about him. Just, just greedy, he's a total creep. He, he is a total creep of a king and a man. And to make matters worse, you know, there are two halves to every ma- marriage. Well, the other half of this marriage is probably as bad as Ahab, right? He is married to the woman, to the, the, the Bible's most evil woman, the most wicked woman, a woman named Jezebel. You know, it's impossible to say her name without a sneer or a leer. He's married to Jezebel. And, and I would compare them to like Bonnie and Clyde or, or Natasha and, and Boris, but it would be a total insult to Natasha and Boris and Bonnie and Clyde. These two are so much worse. They just make life miserable for everyone. They're, they're horrible people. It is hard to find a worse king in Israel's history than Ahab. Now, in Judah, we have a different king. His name is Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat is really the other side of the coin, okay? He is the antithesis, completely different. This man is a God worshiper, a God fear. He loves the Lord. He he smashes idols. He's just concerned with the word of God. He's an awesome guy, okay? Ahab, total creep. Jehoshaphat, awesome guy. And when you look for a better king, in Israel's history, it's hard to find anybody better than Jehoshaphat. So we've got those two, and then we've got a place, all right? We have got a place called Ramoth-Gilead, which is an Israeli city that has just been captured in Scripture. Okay, it's just been captured by uh, the nation of Aram. And if you want to know what Aram is, it's just modern-day Syria, okay? So they were causing a little trouble back then. Um, so, so this Israeli city has been captured, And now Ahab, in this passage, he wants to take it back. I mean, after all, it's an Israeli city, right? It belongs firmly in the grasp of Israel. So Ahab wants to take it back. He goes to Jehoshaphat, and he asks for his help. I need your help in reconquering this city. And so here is Jehoshaphat, and he is in a pickle, okay? He's in a pickle because Judah and Israel, as we all know, they're connected. Jehoshaphat really needs good trade relations with Israel for his country to thrive. I mean, he needs good political relations. He also does not need this psycho and his wife as enemies. So Jehoshaphat is in a real pickle, and um, he agrees. Very quickly, he agrees. Sure, Ahab, I'll help you. My troops are your troops. I am at your disposal. But could we just do one thing before we go after this city? Could, could we just stop before we have everybody, you know, uh, arm up and, and we get all the, you know, everything in place? Could we just do one thing? Could we inquire of the Lord first before we start the battle? Now, if we stop there, there's a lesson, okay? Now, here's the lesson. The lesson is, do not get your commitments ahead of the will of God, all right? A much better way to go through life, okay, in this situation is first discover God's call, okay? Discover what God's will is in a matter and then give your yes or your no. 
But Jehoshaphat's already got things a little backwards here. He's given his yes, and so they need to inquire of the Lord. And Ahab is more than willing to comply. He knows Jehoshaphat is not going to do this or he's going to have to do it. So we need to inquire of the Lord. So this wicked king, Ahab, summons together 400 of his prophets. Did you hear hear what was wrong there? His prophets, okay? He summons his prophets. These are are prophetic people who are all in his his back pocket. And uh, he starts the show. He puts the questions to his prophets, should I go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should I hold back? Does anybody want to guess how the prophets replied? Basically in one voice, yes, yes, God will give you the victory. Charge, everyone mount up, yes, yes, yes. And so everybody's in agreement. They're all in this guy's hip pocket, you know, and and Jehoshaphat immediately smells a rat. He sees right through this thing. This is a sham. This is a show. And so he, he replies back to Ahab, essentially saying, look, these guys that you've called together and asked to inquire of the Lord, they're posers. They're just saying what you want them to say. So can we please stop and get a real prophet of God up in this place? And Ahab's reply in verse 8 and 9 I'm going to try to read it without laughing because one part gets me tickled, but I'll try. Ahab replied to Jehoshaphat, there is one more man who can consult God for us, but I hate him. (laughs) I hate him because he never prophesies anything but trouble for me. Yeah, I wonder why. Yeah, okay. Um, His name is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Jehoshaphat replied, that's not the way a king should talk. Let's hear what he has to say. So Ahab called one of his officials and said, quick, bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And so Ahab's messenger goes out to fetch this prophet of God, right? He finds him, and on the way back, the messenger and Micaiah, they're making their way to the royal palace. The messenger goes ahead, and he gives Micaiah the skinny, right, the inside scoop, and he says, listen, Micaiah, There's actually a script here, okay? All 400 of the other prophets have assured Ahab of victory, and you need to do the same. They have promised success. you got to stick with the script. And and this is Steve's translation, not the Bible's, but I'll include Scripture here. Uh, Micaiah basically answers back in verse 14, you must be out of your pagan mind. I will say nothing but what the Lord tells me to say. And so Micaiah makes his way in to the royal room, and all the the kings are there decked out, and he comes in, and the prophets, by the way, are still at it. Um, One of them, a prophet named Zedekiah, has actually gone to the trouble to fashion some iron horns, and he's kind of running around the, you know, he's he's enacting prophetically, you know, oh, with these horns, horns like these, you will gore the Arameans to death. So Micaiah comes into all this, all this energy flowing in this false prophetic way, and Ahab now puts the question to him. Verse 15 and 16, Micaiah, should we go to war or should we hold back? And Micaiah answers, and some of your translations have captured the Hebrew word perfectly, Micaiah answers sarcastically. He answers back, "Uh, yeah, sure, go. Go. By all means, be victorious. 
God will give you the victory. And because sarcasm is an impossible thing to hide, right? You know when someone's being sarcastic with you. Ahab knows that the cover is blown. He erupts in the moment. And he says to Micaiah, how many times must I demand that you only speak the truth to me when you speak for the Lord? And so Micaiah now drops truth bombs, okay? He starts raining truth bombs down on him. And he says, uh, says, first of all, in a vision, I saw Israel. They were like sheep with no shepherd, scattered among the hills because their master, you, had been killed. And Ahab's response is, see, I told you, he never prophesies anything good for me. And uh, Micaiah continues. He relates the second vision, verses 19 through 23. He says, I saw God sitting on his throne with the armies of heaven around him, on his right and his left. And God said, who among you can entice Ahab to go into battle against Ramoth Gilead so he can be killed? There were many suggestions. And finally, a spirit approached God and said, I can do it. How will you do it? The Lord asked. The spirit replied, I will go out and inspire all Ahab's prophets to speak lies. You will succeed, said the Lord. Go ahead and do it. So you see, said Micaiah, um, God has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all your prophets, for the Lord has pronounced your doom. Ouch. You talk about an ouch, and by the way, that ouch turns into a literal ouch because Zedekiah, you remember Hornboy, the prophet? He walks up to Micaiah, and he slaps him across the face in this moment, and he says to him, since when, since when did the Spirit of the Lord leave me to speak to you? And Micaiah responded to him, I'll tell you when. When all of this goes down, when you are hiding in a bunker you will know who the Spirit of God has spoken to. Micaiah, in the next moment, is immediately arrested. He's led off to jail, and the two kings now go into battle. Verses 28, 9 through 30. So King Ahab and King Jehoshaphat led their armies against Ramoth-Gilead. Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, as we go into battle... I will disguise myself so no one recognizes me. But you, you wear your royal robes. Wow. Wow. You know, it's like I'm getting ready to explain something in a couple minutes, but even reading through it, you just can't, you, you can't hold back how ridiculous this whole thing is. Um, uh, you wear your royal robes. So Ahab disguised himself and they went into battle. And look, here's what's going on. Just so you know, Ahab is thinking, hey, you know what, if I disguise myself, how in the world is God going to take me out if he can't even recognize me? You know? And see, we're all laughing for the same reason, because this is what sin does to the mind, right? It totally destroys logic. You know, when, when we really give in to wickedness, it will pervert your rationale. In other words, Ahab is not a guy at this point in his life that you want for life coach, okay? Okay. So just say no, right? So, so, so this is the plan. But nevertheless, verses 34 through 40, condensed version. Despite all that, an Aramean soldier randomly, randomly shot an arrow at the Israelite troops and hit Ahab between the joints of his armor, and he died. His body was taken back to Samaria, 
And the dogs came and licked his blood just as God had promised. So here we are at the end of this thing. You see what happened. Ahab is dead, right? Micaiah is vindicated. This is a fantastic story. You see why it's one of my favorites? But the question now is, well, okay, that's great and all, but what in the world is the point of this? And some of you know what the point of it is. The point is never get, into, never get involved in a land war in Asia. <laughs> Do you know where that's from? The Princess Bride. Some of you got that. Okay, no, it's not that. That's not the point. I couldn't resist. Every time I ask that, I'm like, never get involved in No, okay, no, it's not that. No, but, but seriously, when it comes to understanding the point of this, because the point is beautiful. Y'all, this is a point that will set you free today, because it impacts even. It's going to set you free on a few different levels. Um, you can't even understand the story unless you understand who ultimately the story is about. 1 Kings 22 is not the story of one man. Okay, it's not the story of Micaiah. It's actually the story of two men. It's the story of Micaiah, and it's the story of Jehoshaphat. Um, Ahab here, he is a fixed point of evil, okay? But the story is actually about Micaiah, and and it's about Jehoshaphat. We have an unbelievable contrast in two men. Micaiah is courageous, right? Like crazy courageous. Jehoshaphat, in this passage of Scripture, is an absolute Howard from the beginning of this thing to the end. Micaiah, okay, now, uh, is so courageous. In the beginning, he comes before the wickedest king in the Bible, and he mockingly, sarcastically treats him like the joke that he is, okay? Now, that is courage. That is how courageous he is. And as soon as that point is made, you are a joke, sir, then Micaiah speaks boldly for the Lord, so boldly that he is arrested, he is put in jail, and make no mistake about it, in 1 Kings 22, he is waiting for execution. That's the next thing that happens after this battle. Micaiah will be executed. That's how bold the man is, okay? Jehoshaphat, on the other hand, recklessly sides with Ahab from the very beginning. I mean, he he agrees right off the bat, okay? We shouldn't do that, right? Okay, maybe it's a bad moment. But then he even goes into battle with Ahab after the Lord has prophesied and said, man, this thing is a death march, okay? This this will never work. The The whole thing is, this mission is a failure. God has pronounced doom, and, you know, Zedekiah's just, I mean, he's going into battle with Ahab. And if that doesn't make matters bad enough, well, let's just go ahead and take it all the way down. He even agrees to Ahab's ridiculous plan. I'll disguise myself. You go ahead and march in as the prime target. I mean, look at the difference, the the, the contrast of, of bravery and strength and just absolute cowardice. Now, by the way, Jehoshaphat later on in his life, not too much later, he will repent okay? He is a godly king, remember? He will repent. You know what God does when he repents? Takes him right back, okay? So, so it is never, it is never about your failure, okay? It is always about the goodness of God. It is not about how big you've blown it. Wow, Jehoshaphat has blown it here. Man, as soon as he turns in God's direction, he's forgiven. So I just want to say that, but for the moment, one man is strong, Micaiah. He's brave, Micaiah. He is a hero, while the other one is an absolute fearful coward. 
One man stands with the Lord and he's vindicated. The other one, Jehoshaphat, he wilts. And he he ends up getting rebuked for it. So here's the question. The big question is, where did all of this courage come from in Micaiah? And where did all this fear come from in Jehoshaphat, right? Anyone ever struggled with fear besides me? Okay, good, thank you. You and me, we struggle with it, okay? So where, where does it come from? Believe it or not, ultimately, it boils down to rest. <laughs> and some of you are going, where in the world are you going with this, okay? Let me read you, let me read you a little bit of a psalm. Psalm 91 says this. He who lives or dwells in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty, okay? Now, the psalmist goes on to explain in Psalm 91, he goes on to tell us that God alone is his refuge and his safety. He has chosen to trust in God, right? And he has found rescue, protection, shelter, and healing. Because the psalmist has chosen to dwell in the Lord, he no longer fears the terror of the night or what else? The arrow that flies by day. Do you hear that? What just happened to Ahab? He got hit by an arrow that got shot loose in the day. The the psalmist says, look, I I don't live with that fear. I don't live with that fear at all in my life. And he goes on to say that, you know, as I continue to dwell in the Lord, every fear in my life, it just melts away. And that is the ultimate secret here and the ultimate difference between Micaiah and Jehoshaphat. You know, this is Micaiah's secret, dwelling in the Lord. This is also, in this passage, Jehoshaphat's shame, not dwelling in the Lord. Micaiah, he's clearly there. Jehoshaphat, he is not in this passage. He's dwelling somewhere else. But here's a deeper question. What is the key to dwelling in the Lord. Because, you know, we can talk about that and say, oh, abide in the Lord. You know, dwell in the Lord. And you walk out and go, man, that's great, but how exactly do we do this? What is the key to dwelling in the Lord? What is that? How do we do this? Well, here's how you do it. Where you dwell or who you dwell in is all about who you're listening to. That is the whole point of 1 Kings 22. Micaiah is listening to the Lord. Jehoshaphat, he is listening to Ahab, right? So, look at the two men. Micaiah's confidence is in the Lord, right? He's courageous because he's in the Lord. Jehoshaphat, you know, I mean, he's, he's doing things. It's hard to believe that a man would do following this Ahab, but his confidence is in a treaty with, with a desperately wicked man. You know, for you and I today, there are voices all around us, right? I mean, does anybody, anybody want to argue that, man, there, there are not messages flying everywhere? Voices all over the place. From without, we got voices speaking to us every second that we tune in. I'll tell you one thing that I hear a whole lot of in our world right now, disaster, you know, ruin, everything's about to fall apart, you know. Uh, terrorists, politicians, Wall Street, oh my, you know, it's just, you, you hear so much of this stuff. The right's going after the left, the left is going after the right, you know, turn into any news station, it's just, oh, everything's about to be terrible. Just voices of fear everywhere. And sometimes if we want to be honest, and I suggest that church is a good place to be honest, sometimes there are a lot of voices of fear going on within the body of Christ. You know, sometimes we do a lot of this. Now, we, we dress it up, we try to make it holy, 
But you know, th- think of some of the language we use sometimes. As, uh, I, I'll bring stuff up from my past. I heard somebody else talking about this the other day. But you know, sometimes the voices from within are, are not always real holy, courageous, speaking for God voices. One thing I grew up with hearing all the time is, is you know, the more you grow in Jesus Christ, the more you mature in Christ, the more you are attacked. Where in the Bible does it say that? You know, or we'll say stuff like, you know, different, uh, as you grow up in Christ, different devil, different level. Where is that in the Bible? Where is it? That is a message of fear within the body of Christ. There are voices from without and from within, and it's, it, it's not doing us any good, but I'll tell you this, there is one voice that is still speaking, and he is speaking in his word and by his spirit. And you know what that, that other voice is talking about? That other voice is talking life, light, love, forgiveness, grace, peace, joy. I know I'm getting excited, you know? Victory! And and it's one of these things you wonder, you know, you look at the body of Christ and half of us are, you know, walking around like this. And When did the victory language change in Scripture? When did the abundant life go away? I mean, the last time we checked, what is God promising? A hope and a future to the body of Christ. That's the voice we got to key into, Right? balcony are we right yeah amen and so the question we have to answer is who are we listening to who are who are you listening to who am I listening to who is the body of Christ listening to I'll tell you this if we are listening to the eternal voice you know what we're going to be we're going to be like Micaiah we are going to be like like a generation that is going upward you know up daddy man we're always going upward we're always going farther in we're joining the rescue party you know, that, that, that God's plan for the body of Christ. Things, by the way, that a lot of people are talking about, we'll be experiencing them. We'll be living them. You know, instead of talking about the fruit of the Spirit, you know, we need to get the fruit of the Spirit. We need to get the power of Spirit. Man, you tune into the one voice, and you're walking in that stuff, right? Nothing has changed. He's the same forever. The body of Christ is meant to walk in love and grace and power. That's it. This is who we are. This is our birthright. So the question is, who are we listening to? I tell you one thing, I, I don't want to do what I see so much of today, and, and not everywhere, and not always here, but I, I see it a lot, where, where we are kind of guilty of what I prayed in the beginning, where, you know, these people, you know, they, they say one thing, you know, they, they call me Lord, Lord, or that, you know, they, they, they love me with their lips, but their hearts are far away. I don't want to be somebody who lives one thing, says one thing on Sunday morning, like, oh, God is good, uh, God's faithfulness is amazing, we sing these songs, and then, you know, he is the, 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 he is the Lord, he, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. I don't want to be that way on Sunday morning and then walk out of church and turn into Chicken Little. The sky is falling. And I say for the body of Christ, man, let's step up, you know. Let's step up. By the way, James 3 tells us that that, that whole scenario, Chicken Little and, and number one worshiper, it won't work. You know, James 3, it says this. It, it asks the question, can fresh water... And, uh, and salt water flow from the same spring? No. Can, can a fig tree bear olives? Absolutely not. In other words, here's what it's saying. You can't be free, church, and be enslaved. It's impossible. You, you can't. You know, you can't be full of love and full of fear. Those two don't work. There's a math problem. My father's in the room today. He is a mathematician, mostly. And that, Dad, that math problem will not compute. You know, it just it won't do it. And we got, we got to realize that. So here's what it's time for in the body of Christ. It's time to deal with this fear thing once and for all. 
It's time to to deal with it, right? It's time to step away from fear. It's time as the body of Christ to step into love. When I say step away, here's what I mean, repent. Let's just repent of fear. Father God, I didn't even mean to. You know, it's not like I woke up and said, I think I'll be fearful today. No, no, no. But Lord, I didn't even mean to. But you know what? I've embraced fear in my life. Today, I just, I'm letting go of it. I'm pushing it away. Father, forgive me for, for, for just embracing fear and everything that comes with it. King off the passage, God, I reject the lies of false prophets all around me. I reject the, the lies of the false prophet within me, this flesh that wars against your spirit. Father God, I reject that in Jesus' name. Proclamations of alarm, terror, dismay, calamity. I step away from all of those voices, spreading all those lies and fear. And God, today, I embrace the word of the one who is the Lord of this planet and all of its inhabitants. God, today, I I just, I open my heart to your perfect love. Lord, I I embrace the perfect love of God, which is so wonderful because what does perfect love do? It casts out fear. It drives out fear. It annihilates fear. So even after you've prayed, you know, Lord, I reject fear. If it wants to hang around a little while, as you get a fresh impartation of the love of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, fear's just gonna pretty much have to get get out anyway, right? So we welcome love to come against this thing. I'll tell you one thing, that's a deal we need to make right now. So here's what I invite you to do. If this is you in any way, I want to invite you to come up into the open space, okay? And listen, if you don't, no one's going to judge you. But I, I want to invite you to come up into this space, and we want to pray for you, all right? Um, I, first of all, I suggest do that transaction with God. Reject that fear. Welcome in that love. I got something I, I, I think is prophetic I want to pray over, uh, over you guys when you come up. But I invite you to come up in this, in this space, and we can do it. Now, I might even come down and meet you. You know, I got a new sound system. I can do all kind of stuff that I couldn't do. But, you know, it used to be this was an invisible fence like a dog. You know, you walk and it would buzz. But, you know, I can come down here and I can talk now. So, but really what we want to do is we just want to end with some ministry today. We want to let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. I think there is something on this message for you. I, I think a lot of us struggle with this fear thing. Like 99.9% of us struggle in some ways with this. And I know it's real easy to respond and go, well, Steve, listen, you know, I, you know, I, I would, but you don't really understand. I'm not, I'm not afraid for any of the reasons that you mentioned today. My fear is, is, is not tied to what you said. I mean, honestly, I, I'm, I'm afraid because of what happened to me a long time ago in my life. It, it has left me with fear. You know, I, my reasons are different. You know, there, there just happen to be real dangers in my life. There are real threats in my life. That's why I'm afraid. It's, it, it, it's not because I'm all full of fear, you know. It's, it's because there's scary stuff out there. I, I, I could maybe lose my job or, you know, my money or my kids or something like that. And listen, I love you. I love you. I, I'm your pastor. That means the world to me. I love you. But that kind of thinking is actually a gigantic lie. Anybody know who Alan Hood is in the room? A phenomenal preacher, okay? Alan Hood, we're going to illustrate the point here. Alan Hood was fasting one time. And uh, he's a great preacher, he's a great man of God, national leader, IHOP. So he's fasting one time, burying Kim. And um, he was being a real, a real turkey to his wife. You know, he's just... And she goes, Alan, you're being terrible today. What is wrong with you? And he said, listen, I am angry because I'm hungry. 
his wife looked at him and said, Alan, you are not angry because you were hungry. You were anger, angry because there is anger in you. That is why. The same thing is true with fear. Fear is a spirit, all right? We're, folks, when, when it comes to fear, we, we are fearful because there is fear in us. But the good news today is today is a moving day for us, right? It's time for fear to move out and the love of God to just move on in. And yeah, and if that means salvation, you know, I, I think Chris said something on that. You know, if today's just salvation day, you've just been on the outside looking in. Man, come to Jesus. Come on, today is the day of salvation, you know? I mean, you can even put a little, little, little something on it and come on up here. You know, some of us have been, been keeping the Holy Spirit at arm's length. And today is a great day to just get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Take the plunge. It is so good, you know. But, but the point is, God is here to refresh. He's here to love us. He's ready to just blow our hearts up. Man, the Holy Spirit is so generous. And so you don't need to walk out of here as a prisoner to fear. You just need to walk out of here as a child of God. Um, even if that's just a start, yeah, Shiloh got the cue here. Um, we don't want to be prisoners of fear, all right? We want to be the light of the world, right, Shiloh? I'll give you a second to set up here. So here's what we're going to do. Shiloh's going to play probably my favorite song right now. Um, so, and just lead us in a time of ministry. I want to invite y'all to come up. You know, there's no legalism in coming up front, but I find when the Lord is calling me to do something, I got to move into it. I want to invite you to step in to the love of God and step out of fear. We got a lot of room up here. We'd love to get you up here. A time for you to pray. And then we just, I want to pray something over you guys. Um, I really believe the Lord is in this moment. So Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you for the love of God. And as Graham Cook says, <laughs> your love is just so outrageous. We see that in the life of Jesus. It's so big. There's a never-ending supply of it because God, you are love. And so, Father, today, we just want to step away from fear. Lord, a lot of the things that, that, we, that we would say we are afraid of, they're just lies. They're just phantoms. And the light of Jesus Christ is unbelievable, the grace of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we just want to step out of fear and into love today in Jesus' name. God, just as we worship, untangle these vines in our heart. God, as we worship, just begin, I pray there'd be just like crust falling off and we would, there would, that trade would happen of a, heart of a heart of flesh for a heart of stone. So take us away, Shadow. Let's just, man, let's worship. <laughs>